the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Well, hello there, and welcome along to the programme once more. I'm Justin Briley, Premier's apologetics and theology editor, sitting down on a regular basis with Tom Wright to ask him your questions. The show is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. Well, as we approach Easter today, Tom's going to be tackling questions on the resurrection, one of the subjects he's perhaps most famous for. And towards the end of the show, he'll also be giving his thoughts on a rather well-known Canadian psychology professor. So look out for that. If you're a listener to this podcast, why not make yourself a subscriber to the newsletter as well? You get so much more that way. Uh, Episodes, updates, you can ask a question for yourself. And of course, uh, exclusive bonus video content, things like Tom answering questions on speaking in tongues and the rapture. And of course, the competitions we run on a regular basis too. Uh, We're going to be announcing winners from our latest prize draw of the Bible for Everyone on the next edition of the programme. So if you'd like to get yourself subscribed to the newsletter and all of the good things it brings your way, go to AskNTWrite.com and simply fill out the form and we'll be happy to add you in. And before we're joined by Tom, just a notice that we've a special Easter egg of our own right at the end of today's show as Tom dusts down his guitar for another unplugged session. Well, we're nearing Easter, Tom, and uh, I'm sure Easter is obviously a time of great celebration for you. Where will you most likely find yourself this Easter? Oh, this Easter, um, God willing, I shall be in um, St. Paul's Church in Hammersmith, where my son and daughter-in-law have been going for quite some time now. And they've asked me if I will lead or speak at some of the services through Good Friday and then Easter itself. So... um, It'll be the first time I've done that for for some while, actually. Mm. I've kept rather a low profile in terms of Easter preaching for the last few years. But um, it's a great church. Yes, I I know it. It's a thriving church there in in Hammersmith, isn't it? Um, Well, um, we've got some questions about the resurrection, which, of course, is something you know a little bit about as well, (laughs) having published a rather large book on the subject. Um, And we've also got questions, actually, on Jordan Peterson, interestingly, Mm -hmm. which I'll explain the connection (laughs) a little later. But... um, this is what I've been de- dying to ask you myself, because I just read your um, commentary on the Gospel of Mark, the, oh, right. the, uh, mm-hmm. the For Everyone commentary. And at the very end, you, you talk about the, the fact that we d- don't have the ending of mm-hmm. Mark. Well, we've got sort of these sh- short and long off. endings. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it appears, as far as you can best see, um, that, I, I mean, what you say is you nail the colours to the mask and say, I don't think it was supposed to end this way. I think we have yeah, lost the ending. Yeah, can you yeah, explain yeah. that? Yes, uh, I mean... The, the, the best manuscripts we've got of Mark's gospel, the earliest manuscripts we've got, end with chapter 16, verse 8, where the women, um, having seen the angels at the tomb, uh, run away, and Mark says they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And in Greek, it's famously, they were afraid. And this is sort of, uh, was it meant to end like that? It's very stark um, and abrupt. It's extremely it? stark and abrupt. Now, some readers really like stark and abrupt <laughs> and so they say no 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 that's what how, what it was meant to be and that's that's perfectly possible mm. however mark throughout the rest of the gospel particularly from the end of chapter 8 onwards has had jesus telling his disciples we're going up to jerusalem the son of man is going to be handed over to the rulers who will beat him up and spit at him etc and they will kill him and on the third day he'll be raised and it's said again and again and again and again then we get to jerusalem and lo and behold he's handed over da, 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 and we don't get mm. jesus appearing so it feels to you as though 
it feels it must, as though Mark was feels as though Mark was intending to go there. Um, the two endings that we've got look very clearly as though people in the probably third and fourth centuries have thought we can't have it stop there. Um, let's cobble together something yeah. from the other gospels right. and make an ending out of it. Um, uh, it is possible. I toyed with this theory for some while, but I don't fully accept it now. It is possible that it was left deliberately open so that at that point when it was being read, you would have an eyewitness. Now, we happen to have here our brother Nathaniel, <laughs> and he was there. Nathaniel, so you fill us in what, what happened Exactly, next, exactly. Right, yes. There's a, a sort of a stage direction. Yes, yes. Now wheel on your eye. Yes. I, I don't, it's a nice idea, but I don't mm, really believe okay. that. What I think is much more likely is that um, with a scroll, and though the Gospels were um, among the early innovations for, for, for books, for codexes, codices, um, with an early scroll, the beginning and the ending of the scroll comes off. If you go to the Israel Museum and look mm. at the Dead Sea Scrolls, almost all of them are short of the beginning and ending because right. that's where the yeah. wooden stick was, mm. which would rot and pull away. Mm. And the beginning of Mark is very odd as well. People mm. don't always notice that because the opening phrase, Archetiu Evangelii Jesu Christi, which is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then it goes straight in, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then it quotes Malachi. And you think, excuse me, there's several <laughs> odd things about this. Are we missing and a little bit of the beginning I as well? I suspect yes. that we're missing the beginning and the ending that Mark originally oh, wrote. And that because you can't start a gospel as it is written, cathos gegrapti, somebody has put an elegant beginning, right. but they left the ending, but then other people filled it in. <clears throat> that doesn't bother me at all in terms of what Mark believed, what Mark said. It's quite clear that Mark believes yes, in yeah. Jesus' resurrection from all that I've said already. Um, but one of the things we have to notice is that the fear of the women picks up that theme of fear from earlier in the gospel. The woman with the issue of blood who comes in the crowd and mm. touches Jesus, she is in fear and trembling mm. when Jesus says, who touched me? And there's a sense that these women in fear and trembling at the tomb are aware that something momentous is mm. happening. Mm. It's not just that they're scared. Mm. And we assume that what it means they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid means that then and there, within that next half hour, while they were dashing back right. into town. Because Mark wouldn't have much to write about if they hadn't told someone. Well, uh, uh, yes, <laughs> I mean, quite, quite, quite. But I, I, think, I think it seems to be a way of saying they didn't sort of saunter back into right. town and everybody right. they met say, guess yeah. what we just seen? There was a sort of until what until to do with this news. Until they got back to yeah. the house, yes. Um, I should have said, actually, who, who this question originated with, Thomas in Wartonby. And his specific question um, was, is how would you reconstruct the ending to Mark's Gospel? <laughs> would you have a go? Would, you know, if you were putting your own ending in, what, what might it look like? I remember old Bishop Stephen Neal, who was a great New Testament scholar as well as a world missionary, etc., saying that Mark has been following um, – sorry, that Matthew has been following Mark quite closely, mm. not totally, but quite closely up to that point – and that it may well be that the ending of Mark would have looked not totally unlike the ending of Matthew. Okay. I'm not quite convinced of that, mm -hmm. because actually, if you put Mark 16, 1 to 8, beside the equivalent bit from Matthew 28, there's lots of Greek words which actually aren't the same, even when the story is very similar. And Matthew has a more vivid um, account of the earthquake and so on. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I'm not quite convinced of that. Clearly, something about the appearing of Jesus, the promise that they'll see him in Galilee being repeated or mm. whatever. Um, 
But part of the point of the resurrection stories is that, and, and they, they carry this feeling, that a new world has just begun. We're not sure we're ready for it. And I, I remember using the illustration of, you know, you're lying in bed early in the morning, still half asleep in your pyjamas on, and suddenly there's a ring at the doorbell, and some very important visitor has just arrived, and you're not ready, and help, there's a sort of panic about it. And it's as though the new creation has begun, and we weren't ready. Mm. What are we going to do now? Mm. Mm. Just a bunch of interesting questions here. Let's see how many we can get through about Jesus' resurrected form. Um, Titus in Charlottesville asked this one. Uh, I regularly debate non-Christians on my podcast, proselytize or apostatize. <laughs> little plug for you there, Titus. And one argument I major on is the resurrection. I'm wondering what a first century Jew would have concluded if he saw a vision of the resurrected Christ. Would he conclude that he was seeing a physically resurrected Christ on earth or simply that he was seeing Christ in the intermediary state in heaven before the final resurrection? And I suppose that sort of ties in a little bit with the nature of Paul's particular vision and so on. Yes, it, it does. I mean, the empty tomb is really, really important, mm -hmm. and this is why. Because everybody in the ancient world knew perfectly well, anyone who thought about such things, that visions of recently dead people did happen from time to time. And uh, I have not first-hand but second-hand close-up evidence of this in my own family mm -hmm. and with um, a good personal friend, um, with a very tragic thing where his daughter was the other side of the world and she was murdered. And the first he knew was when uh, she appeared Gosh. to her fiancé, who was a long way away, hundreds of miles mm. away, in the room fleetingly, and then disappeared again. And he had no idea what this was about, picked Suddenly up the phone the and discovered through. she'd been killed. Um, and, and, I mean, th this, this happens. Um, so... Uh, some people, Dominic Crossan famously, uh, say, well, Christianity began with visions of a dead man, mm. which is a lie. It didn't. Mm. It began mm. with appearances of a living man. Right. But so appearances without empty tomb, that's what they would have concluded. Sure. And that's precisely what you see um, in Acts 23 when Paul puts the cat among the pigeons with the Pharisees and Sadducees and saying, I'm a Pharisee, it's about the resurrection, blah, 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 blah. And the Pharisees who have this belief that prior to the resurrection, people will exist either mm. as quasi-angels or mm. spirits. They say, what if an angel or a spirit spoke mm. to him? So that answers exactly that question. Right. But the empty tomb by itself without appearances would mean grave robbery. Right. Um, so only empty tomb plus appearances will do the trick. Of, of um, a physical Of a physical resurrection. resurrection. Um, and, and so when, in terms of what people would assume in 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 the first century jewish context if they had a, an appearance of the resurrected christ would it be very contingent well, on on whether they with this empty tomb idea, a, an appearance of 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 somebody who they knew had been crucified yes yes, yes. Yeah. i mean quite had jesus appeared to them three days 30 days whatever after his crucifixion but with the tomb still full as it mm. were then this is uh, a beautiful, strange thing, but these things, thing. these things happen. Right. It, and they would not use the word resurrection. No. Resurrection is not about somebody going into a glorious angelic state. Um, anastasis in Greek and its cognates and the equivalent in Hebrew Aramaic, they simply aren't about going to... This is one of the things that people don't understand because mm. when people today say, I believe in the resurrection, often what they really mean is, I believe in going to heaven when right. I die. Yes. That's simply not right. what the words mean. 
Uh, more questions on the, the, yeah. the resurrection state of Jesus. Um, uh, Mario in Croatia asks, when Christ rose from the dead, he had a glorified body, sort of a new and eternal body, but the tomb was empty. It was also his old body, tortured, crucified and murdered. So I'm wondering, what does that mean to us and our bodies in the resurrection of the body and eternal life? Is there anything we can draw from the, the nature of yes. Jesus' Yes, I mean, it's very interesting, obviously, that in... Um, in John particularly, uh, there's great emphasis placed on the fact that Jesus is recognized by the mark of the nails and mm. the spear thrust in his side. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it unless mm. I see them. And Jesus says, OK, be my guest. Here mm. you are. Mm. Um, and uh, but, but something about those wounds, which many, many generations of, of preachers and commentators have said, um, you know, the reason that they are there is that these were the wounds that love has borne, mm. and that is what is now exalted, is yeah. the love that has borne that. And so people have speculated that maybe in the new creation, in our resurrection bodies, that the things that we have suffered out of love for others will be mm. part of our glory, mm. part of who mm. we really are, will shine that, that, forth. That's, um, that, that bullet someone took for another person, we, they might still bear the scar of that or something. Yeah, or whatever, what, whatever it might be. Whatever yeah. it might be. Um, this is what C.S. Lewis is getting at, and there's a little snippet in one of his post-mortem collect, uh, 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 posthumous collected pieces where he says, will there be, will there be books in mm. the new creation? Mm. And he says, well, yeah, but the only ones you'll have will be the ones you lent to people and never got back. And then <laughs> the question is, what about when people have scribbled in the margins of your books? And he says, they will be transformed into wonderful illustrations and woodcuts right. and so on. Yes. The, the things that would most irritate yes. you, if yeah. you allow them to say, okay, this is how it is, mm. they could be transformed. Right. And I think it, because people from the second century onwards, Irenaeus, Origen, knew perfectly well mm. that we don't have to get the same molecules back. I mean, Origen at the start of the third century knew perfectly well that uh, the, 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 the molecules in my hand, my body, my head are different molecules from what they were 10 years ago. We do a complete mm. kit yes, change yes, every, roughly every seven yeah. years. They knew that in the yeah, ancient world, yeah. more or less. Um, so it's not a big deal to get the same stuff right. back. Yeah. Um, what counts is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, God gives it a body. God gives this this me, a new body. Now, I've always said to people, if God wants to use such remains as there are, my bones <laughs> in a coffin, uh, I'm sure God yes. would have fun doing that. I have no problem, but he doesn't need but them. Th that's not going to be a problem reconstituting no, no, Tom no. Wright um, in, in his <laughs> resurrected form. The Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Wright Online. SBCK is Tom's UK publisher and they've created a special discount for podcast listeners on a selection of Tom's titles. So when you buy one, you get a second half price. There's a number of titles in the deal, including some of Tom's most popular books, Surprised by Hope, Simply Jesus and Simply Christian. Get the buy one, get one half price offer by going to this link sbckpublishing.co.uk slash askntwrite. That's sbckpublishing.co.uk forward slash askntwrite. Wendy in Durham, why couldn't Jesus have remained on earth in his newly resurrected body as the first to rise from the dead? Why did he have to leave? He could still have given the Holy Spirit to the believers. <laughs> yes, I think um, it's a perfectly good question. It seems to me 
the idea that the ascension is a leaving, while that is true, and in the farewell discourses, mm. they really are farewell, mm. you know, I'm, I'm going away and the Spirit mm. is going to come. Um, there is a sense in that because the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit makes Jesus present in a way which would be kind of systematically confusing with our present perceptions. I think part of the problem has been in Western Christianity, though, this idea that with the ascension, he's sort of saying goodbye mm. and leaving us to get on with it. Um, so why were they so happy? Why did they go back to Jerusalem with joy? Why didn't they say, oh, no, he's gone? Mm, mm. And, and the answer is, the end of Matthew 28, I am with you always. Mm. And the sense of his continuing presence, which must have been a puzzle in the 10 days between Ascension mm. and Pentecost, um, but then with the coming of the Holy Spirit, um, the book of Acts is, is fascinating in in oscillating between the presence of the Spirit and the presence of Christ, mm. as indeed is Paul. He talks about if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of Christ is in they're you. They're almost interchangeable. Almost interchangeable. Paul is pretty sure-footed. He knows what he's saying, mm. but he does want to say Christ in you as yes. well as the, as the Spirit in you. So um, it, it's, it's almost like the people who say, what a pity he had to die so, so young, you know, mm. so much mm. he could have done. Yes. But I think part of the point of the resurrection is the launching of the new creation and that the ascension is that Jesus is now in charge of the ongoing work of, mm. of new creation, uh, that, that heaven is not a long way away. It is, mm. as I've often said, mm. the CEO's office. This is where the world is run from, and it's run by the energy of the Spirit. But the other thing about the ascension, one of my colleagues in St. Andrews, David Moffat, who's an expert on the letters of the Hebrews, keeps on reminding us of this very helpfully, is that in the New Testament, what Jesus is doing at the moment is interceding on our behalf, that he's not simply enjoying being in heaven with the Father and running and the world. And waiting for everyone else to arrive. Right, yes. quite. Um, uh, well, waiting for the time when he will make <laughs> the new heavens and yes. new earth. Um, but because we are constantly messing things up and because the world is constantly in a mess, he is, as the hymn says, pleading his death that his death is once for all, but his intercession on the basis of his death is ongoing. And mm. Paul says that in Romans 8, um, that he's at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And that's one of the great truths of Ascension Tide. Um, so it seems to me that when we really get inside that, which the early Christians grasped almost effortlessly because they were soaked in mm. the Psalms, and Psalm 110 says he's at the right yeah. hand, you know. Mm. Nate in Cambridge has a question that ties in quite neatly to that, which is simply, where exactly is Jesus right now? Like physically, bodily, presumably his resurrected body must be someplace, but where? Uh, he says this seems to be of huge importance in terms of where I should point my imagination when I pray or think about him. Yeah, Th this, this is really to do with how we conceive heaven and earth. Mm. And part of the great problem with so much modern western thought is that we're basically implicit epicureans yes. that is to say we think of heaven as a long way away if there are gods they're miles up in the sky so people talk about whether your prayers go past the ceiling or yes, whatever the yes. is, that's not the point <laughs> um you we have to learn to think with the conceptuality that the jews would have focused on the temple that when you're in the temple it's not as if you're in heaven mm. you are in heaven this is where heaven and earth Meet. overlap. Mm. And with the ascension, there is a bit of earth, the actual body of Jesus, 
which is more real than it was before because it's now non-corruptible. It's mm. not going to die or hurt mm. or anything again. That body is now in heaven, but in order to say that, we have to rethink the meaning of the word That doesn't heaven. mean it's in a far-off place where no, we can't possibly it access. it doesn't mean it's yeah. in a far-off place, and it doesn't mean it's in a place where a body would be inappropriate. Right. Um, I used to debate with my late friend Marcus Borg about this kind of mm. thing, and when mm. I would say, no, Jesus' body is in heaven, he would say, Tom, I just can't imagine that. And I would say, Mark, <laughs> deal with your imagination. You've just got a platonic <laughs> imagination, and it's it's a shame for you. You know, yeah. There are other ways of construing right. okay. heaven and earth. Mm. Very interesting. Um, you might want to try and deal with this one quickly. It's a, it's a part <laughs> of the technical question. Grant in Canberra, Australia is asking, says in your book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, you say that there is nothing improbable and it makes good sense all round that the guards at the tomb told their fellow soldiers, friends and family that his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. But Grant has some problems with that. Given the guards were hardened Roman troops, why on earth would they, A, say nonsense, as the ancients were well aware that you're unconscious when asleep, so can't identify perpetrators of grave robbery? Secondly, tell a story that Galilean peasants had made fools of them by stealing the body. In occupational terms, it's equivalent to Tom taking a bribe to admitting he doesn't know the text of John 3.16. And thirdly, admitting to falling asleep at their post when that crime would have almost inevitably seen them sentenced to death. So he's got some problems with that particular phrase in The Resurrection of the Son of God. Yes, I, I really should go back and have a look at it and see if I want to, to know that a bit but uh, i mean that story of course is in matthew and mm. uh it's made very clear that these are these are on governor's orders and that there's money involved mm. and that um, we'll we'll sort it you you just mm. you just tell mm. them that mm. and that okay. that'll be all right we'll make it okay with the governor so yes the soldiers may have i'm trying to think from matthew's point of view yes. if you'd ask matthew this because it's his problem rather than mine right. as it were yes. um I think Matthew would have said, um, yeah, there was plenty of money changing hands and the soldiers were quite happy to pocket the money um, and they didn't need to say very much, just tell some people, oh, it must have must have been like this. So the idea that, well, if they were asleep, how did they know who did it? Um, I mean, Matthew here is responding to what was a, an early allegation yeah, that, yeah, oh, well, yeah. the body got stolen. Which, of and, course, is, is one of many allegations mm. that people have made um, rather than face the actual... Um, story which the gospels are telling Um, now this one's a bit of a wild card um, stuck in on the end of this podcast but so many people have got in touch to ask about what you think of Jordan Peterson (laughs) and my only real um, connection with the resurrection topic is that I know that Jordan B. Peterson who's become a very well known in the last year or two um, psychologist psychology professor who has packing out audiences best-selling books he's been on my other show unbelievable um and seems to have captured a huge audience among young men especially helping them to sort of find meaning and direction Mm. in life Mm. um and seems to have a lot of sympathy for christianity Mm. he's sort of difficult to pin down to some extent exactly where Mm. he falls in terms of his own beliefs but um has been um I, as I understand it, uh, been asked to look into the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it's something I'm going to devote a few years to, to mm-hmm. trying to get to grips with. And even possible possibilities, apparently, that your your work is one <laughs> of the things he's using to help him. So a couple of questions have come in here uh, on that front. I'll read them both. Uh, Julian in Canada, which is, of course, where, where yeah. um, Jordan Peterson hails from, says, Dear Tom, big fan of your work. Um, your book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, has been revolutionary for my thinking as a Christian. I'm wondering what your general thoughts are on Jordan Peterson and the phenomenon. Uh, what, are pa- what parallels do you see between his and your own work? Uh, do you have any criticisms of him? And Melanie in Pennsylvania asks, uh, would you be interested in a conversation with Jordan Peterson about the resurrection? He's given, given himself three years to study it 
and apparently the resurrection of the Son of God is one of the resources he is using. So firstly, <laughs> well, have you heard of Jordan Peterson? Uh, sure. Um, my wife and I read his, his book on the 12 rules of life uh, That's right. about, about a year or so ago, and, and we both much enjoyed it. Mm. Although it is a rambling book. He, um, his 12 rules, he states these rules and then goes all around the houses with all sorts of anecdotes and, and highways and byways. And then finally you come back, oh, that's what this chapter was about. I'd nearly <laughs> forgotten. Um, and uh, I think several reviewers have said that sort of thing. So this isn't me being rude. I think this is just how the book feels. Mm. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of of a co- sort of combination of partly homespun almost folk wisdom mm-hmm. in the face of some of the follies of late modernity and i think one of the reasons he's so popular is that he actually dares to say that the emperor has no clothes with some of the sillier things that in the postmodern world mm. some people are taking for granted i mean i think the, the the great fuss happened in the university of toronto when a directive went out about uh, the that professors should use a gender neutral pronoun rather than he yeah. or she and, and he sort of, um, um, I mean, the, the context of that was, I think, also that Canada was in the process of possibly passing legislation, yeah, yeah. which could criminalise the use of certain types of language yes, uh, pronouns yes. and so on if you didn't um, use them. And he, right, right. he, as I understand it, having spoken to him about it, Jordan Peterson said, it's not that he has any issue with using the pronouns people mm-hmm. require, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the forced, yes, um, yes, the, yes. it's the criminalisation that it, he, exactly. he has. And, and I, think, I think that is a point where, um, what one can broadly call mm. a kind of postmodern liberal left has tipped over into a f- into forms of tyranny. Mm. And if they say, oh, that's because people are so hurt and upset by the traditional things, I say, Jordan Peterson would say, come on, get used to it. This is a tough world. And we all have to figure stuff out and and simply legislating things out it's like the whole business of of no platforming speakers and mm, so on mm. y- your opinions are not welcome here um and he would fight against that as i would yes. um that that's not to say that you invite people with utterly ridiculous mm. shameful horrible mm. views sure. you know yeah. at the same time within a very broad spectrum so i think the fact of him doing the emperor has no clothes stuff is is very welcome and people have welcomed it the trouble with that the danger with that is that it can become a bit of a bandwagon and people who then want to push back and say um too bad for all that political correctness we're going to go back to an old macho Mm. um, chauvinistic world or whatever i don't think that's not how i hear peterson and i when i read his book i then watched three or four youtube videos Mm. um and i saw him there's a famous one, I think, where he was interviewed by our, one of our Channel Kath, 4. Kathy Newman, oh, yes, Kathy that Newman went that. viral. Yes, yeah, right, right, right. Well, I, I saw that, and uh, uh, that, that was a revealing moment. Mm. Um, but uh, I suspect that he probably doesn't like being typecast in, in that way, mm. because I think there's much more going on there, and he clearly is on a journey and questioning yeah. himself. In terms of conversation about the resurrection, I, I'm happy to talk to anyone about the resurrection <laughs> at any time. I mean, he and I have not met, we have not talked, no. but um, obviously that is the big question. Um, and my sense is that, that he's made a career out of coming from the, 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 the far sort of central northwest of Canada, way away from the big cities, coming to the big city, looking around, rather <laughs> like Martin Luther going to Rome, saying, is this what it's all about? Now, come on, can we have some common sense here? And, and, and that's, that's a very healthy yes, yes, uh, way of yeah. approaching things. And I would love to see that grow and blossom I, in something I, else. I, and the other side in which I think he's having an really interesting conversations is with many of the big secular names. So he's had oh, right. these big uh, sort of conversation debates with people like Sam Harris and, okay. and others. 
and uh, and and it's interesting to see he he won't be pinned down right. on Christianity right. and the resurrection and so on, okay. but he's not ruling it out sure, by any sure, sense. Sure. And and so yeah, who knows? Um, well. That's great. Uh, Jordan, if you are listening, um, <laughs> then the, the table is set. Uh, you're very welcome on, uh, on my show to, to do something with that Tom. That would be great fun. But it would be fun. Um, anyway, um, there you go. We've gone all over the shop um, with that one. But <laughs> uh, it's been great to have you in. Um, a very happy Easter. Thank you. To you and to you too. Tom. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing you on the other side, um, yes, probably indeed. sometime near to um, Pentecost or something. Yes, but <laughs> in any case, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. Well, thank you for being with us on today's show. But don't go away just yet. Tom's pulling out the guitar again in a moment. And if you want to see some exclusive video of Tom Unplugged, then go to the video section on our website at askntwrite.com. And you'll also be able to see his video response about Jordan B. Peterson there as well. Signing up at the website gets you access to bonus video content, the fortnightly newsletter, and means you get the link to ask a question yourself. We're always looking for fresh questions for this podcast. So do go to askntwrite.com and get yourself subscribed. Well, we've got to that fun, not too serious part of the podcast where uh, Tom pulls out a guitar. It happens to be my guitar, actually, but Tom uh, Tom plays it for us. Now, we all know some of the best-known songs from Sidney Carter, One More Step Along the World I Go, Lord of the Dance, and so on. Um, in that sense, his, his songs have been sung in primary schools probably sure. for, for decades now. Um, what I didn't realise until I came across a video of you online um, playing this particular song, that he obviously had quite a, a repertoire of different songs mm. and poems as well. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you first came across this one. Well, in the 60s, he was, um, as you say, writing things which um, then it was kind of flaky and exciting that one was allowed <laughs> to play this sort of thing, which had Christian resonances and some people even bringing guitars into church. I know that's now such a cliche, <laughs> and it's typical that sort of old 60s rockers still turning up grey-haired but still strumming away. So I'm very much aware of that, and, and okay, that the joke is on me there. But in the 60s, this was hugely exciting, mm. and... Um, uh, when I was in a gap year, as we used to have between school and university, I was out in Canada and I was working in a lumber camp in British Columbia. And um, there was uh, a folk club in Prince George, and which was about 50 miles away from where the lumber camp was. And I used to go in on the weekend. And I went one weekend and um, was chatting to people and they discovered that I played the guitar. Oh, come next week, do us, do us a set. So I, during that week working in the camp, I thought, what, what, what should I, how should I sort of nail my colours to the mast? <laughs> and so I had all sorts of things from Dylan, Peter, Paul and Mary, various um, Gordon Lightfoot. Um, but I thought, actually, I'll do a couple of Sidney Carter ones right up front mm. just to say, actually, this is who I am. Mm. So uh, right at the top of the first set, I played Lord of the Dance and then I played this Friday morning. Let's hear it. Okay. It's self-explanatory, I think. It was on a Friday morning that they took me from the cell And I saw they had a carpenter to crucify as well You can blame it on to Pilate, you can blame it on the Jews You can blame it on the devil, but it's God that I accuse It's God they ought to crucify instead of you and me I said to the carpenter a-hanging on the tree. You can blame it on to Adam, you can blame it on to Eve, you can blame it on the apple, 
But that I can't believe It was God that made the devil And the woman and the man And there wouldn't be an apple If it wasn't in the plan It's God they ought to crucify Instead of you and me I said to the carpenter Hanging on the tree Now Barabbas was a sinner And they let Barabbas go But you are being crucified For nothing here below And God is up in heaven And he doesn't do a thing With a million angels watching And they never move a wing It's God they ought to crucify Instead of you and me I said to the carpenter Hanging on the tree To hell with Jehovah To the carpenter I said I wish that a carpenter Had made the world instead Goodbye and good luck to you Our ways they will divide Remember me in your kingdom The man you hung beside It's God they ought to crucify Instead of you and me I said to the carpenter A hanging on the tree You've been listening to the Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts. Very good. Yeah, Brilliant wordsmith. Oh, it, it, it's it's very good. It's yeah, very, very clever. Very clever. Very clever.